I was so worried about annoying people with emails. And so I didn't want to send out regular emails. But um, once I was convinced to send out regular emails, like that's where our money comes from to see those analytics is like the coolest thing now to see like how effective they are and the conversion rates on, on these emails. So, I mean, realistically, if, you know, I had to really digest the fact that if someone is not interested in your emails, they're going to unsubscribe. If someone's going to keep your emails, it's because they want to hear from you. And so give them what they want. Fashion designer Kia Tomlin launched her initial collection in 2014, uniting CoverGirl glamour with the comfort and ease of your favorite sweatshirt. Fast forward to 2021, Kia was named the Best of Pittsburgh Reader's Poll winner for Best Fashion Designer. Kia's designs embody femininity, versatility, and the constant pursuit of the place where style, function, and comfort intersect. Tune in to hear how Kia found her clientele and manufacturing partners, how her business has grown and evolved, and her most recent collection with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Coming up, Kia shares her inspiration behind her chic, functional signature dress, how Kia found the perfect vendor and manufacturer for her line. Kia shares how she reached her initial clientele, and the launch strategies behind her first storefront and the kiatomlin.us website. And finally, Kia shares the importance of an email newsletter. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Kia, we are so excited to finally sit down and have a conversation with you. You have such an incredible entrepreneurista journey, and we can't wait to hear all about your story. So thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, uh, to talk with you ladies. I would love to hear first, if you can share a little bit about your background and what led you to the path of entrepreneurship. Did you always know that you wanted to have your own business? Uh, no. <laughs> My grandfather had his own business, landscaping business, but I never really thought of it as, you know, being an entrepreneur. I think back then that wasn't really that kind of term. You just worked and <laughs> put food on the table. I never dreamed of being in the fashion industry, really. I, I did sew and design from a very young age, but I didn't know anyone else that sewed or designed. And so to me, it was just a, a hobby. I all I knew about the fashion industry was really there was, you know, like Tommy Hilfiger was the big brand back then. And, or you were the little old lady in the alteration shop. And I didn't see myself or want to be <laughs> um, either of those. And so I um, just kept it as a hobby and went on to college to study pre-med. So how did you end up starting your own clothing line? So after college, I kind of realized, hmm, maybe med school wasn't isn't really the path that I want to take. And so I was home visiting a friend and the mother, mother who I'd, you know, I'd grown up with. And we were talking about like, well, you know, what am I going to do next? And I, I don't know. And she said, well, why don't you find what you love to do and then figure out a way to make money doing it? And I've always sewn and designed my entire life, always loved it. It was always kind of my 
my stress relief. It was like my meditation, my quiet. Um, I love to sew for myself. I love to sew for other people. And so I was like, I think that's, I think that's it. And so I um, enrolled in fashion design school and um, studied there for um, just a couple of years, but it allowed me to kind of wrap a bow around all of the things that I had self-learned over the years and kind of gave me a little bit of more foundation. And after that, I decided to jump right in and start my own custom design business. So that's what I did. Did you ever think you were going to go work for someone else first after going to fashion design school? Or did you know when you were there, I'm going to do this for myself? Um, So I actually had tried to apprentice at an alteration shop. And I was so slow and meticulous that they let, they told me not to come back after the first day. <laughs> but because um, I got married right out of college and my husband's job um, moved around a lot, we were never in an area where fashion was an industry. So it just never really panned out that there was a place for me to work. And then I, once I started having babies, it was, it was something that I could do from home or flexibly around my schedule of, you know, raising, raising a family. So yeah, I just did it from my home and pasted around how much work I wanted to take on. How did you decide what you wanted to design and what your collection was going to be? And how'd you find your first customers? When I first started wedding gowns, and I think wedding gowns really more so because I just thought that if you could design a wedding gown and make a bride happy, then you have arrived. I am now Vera Wang. <laughs> so I don't know that it was, you know, I did love, I love the the fancy fabric and the intricate detail. So I think that's what I gravitated towards. You know, after a few clients, I realized that I didn't want to work with brides anymore and, um, and steered more towards evening wear and maybe mother of the groom because they're always just excited to be invited to the wedding. But I was pretty much done with the brides and the, and the mother of the brides. <laughs> What year was it that you first started your business? That was 2000. And in 2000, obviously, websites and marketing and social media, very different. The landscape was very different back then from what it is today. How were you first getting the word out about your business back then? Um, it was At first, it was just word of mouth. I was in a, a wonderful little play group for my, <laughs> my firstborn. And so the women there kind of just networking amongst them and passing the word around and then um, I did take out a little ad in in our neighborhood, like news, we had a little neighborhood magazine to get an ad there. And, um, and it just started that way, but I was never like swamped with work, but that wasn't my intention at the time. I really just wanted to feel fulfilled and that this was something that I enjoyed doing at that time. As my kids got older and we moved a couple of times, when my kids started school, that's when I knew that I wanted to kind of run a more robust business. I was, you know, concerned about once the kids grow up and leave the nest, then what do I do? And if I didn't start a business or have something of mine, I was worried about that sadness that I saw a lot, a lot of the other wives around me, um, especially in my husband's profession, where most of the women don't, don't work to see that once the kids leave, it's almost as if their purpose has gone and, um, and it's a hard adjustment. And so I was seeing that and wanting that not to be me. And so I started, I figured I'd start slowly. And then once my kids were gone, you know, I'd be ramping up along the way as they got more independent. And then once they were gone, I was off and running. (laughs) When did you launch the website that I'm actually looking at right now, kiatomlin.us? In who, I think this was probably 2014, I think. 
up until then I had worked from home doing custom design. And um, around that time, I decided as my kids were, you know, moving out the house, you know, or moving into being more independent teenagers, um, I decided that I um, wanted to move outside of the home and get a little storefront so clients could come and meet me there. And I could get away from the distractions at home where I was trying to multitask, like cooking and cleaning and laundry and all that kind of stuff. And so I rented a little storefront that was my studio space and, and I loved it, but I did realize very quickly that I did not like to get dressed anymore. I was used to working from home in my pajamas and in my sweats. And now suddenly I'm public facing and I have to wear nice clothes, which I love to wear nice clothes, but to the thought that goes into getting dressed in the morning, like the effort and the time and then, you know, it's the type of work I do where I'm crawling on the floor and I'm climbing on top of cutting tables to be in nice clothes that aren't necessarily comfortable and aren't laundry friendly. And I didn't have a ton of foot traffic coming in. So to spend all of that effort getting dressed and have maybe one person walk in that day, it just was not fun. And so I decided to, I was going to create a uniform for myself. That was just something that was for me. It was, I didn't, wouldn't have to think about it in the morning. It was comfortable. I could work in it, but I could also um, be appropriately dressed when clients came, but I could be like, you know, comfortable soccer mom, you know, after work, and then maybe throw some heels on and go out in the evening for an evening event. And so I designed a little dress um, that encompassed all of that. It's actually called our signature dress. We st it's still our bestseller. It had pockets and was machine washable. It was everything I dreamed of. And pockets when I made the dress, <laughs> yes, you must have pockets. So um, when I made the dress, people would stop me all in the street and ask me where I got my dress. And so I decided like, oh, okay, then maybe this is like, you know, something that's worth making a few of as like a little side hustle to my custom design because custom design is super expensive. So I spent a year learning how to work with a factory because it's very different than custom design the way I was doing it. And we produced a bulk of dresses because you have to meet the factory minimums. And then I had to figure out how to sell the dresses. And so that's where we, I learned to get into the wholesale business. I can definitely relate to you. In 2020, I came up with this concept called work robe. Really, I just wanted the product for myself because... I was now working from home every day and I'm actually wearing one right now. I created a line of robes that you can wear while working from home that are Zoom appropriate, but also very comfortable and, and functional. So love, love, love your concept. I want to hear a little bit about the process of finding your manufacturer, deciding to go into wholesale, because as you just mentioned, it's a completely different business model than custom design. I know many of our Entreprenista League members are also starting fashion businesses and really looking to figure out, you know, what are those first steps that you take? How do you find the right manufacturer? How do you know that you could trust the manufacturer? What were some of those first steps that you took and some learning lessons? The first thing I did was I happened to find online um, a place that was giving factory tours. And um, I'm, a, I'm a naturally shy person. So to me thinking that, okay, if I can just see what a factory looks like, then maybe I'll be like brave enough to then like approach factory. Cause I didn't know anything about anything about production in a factory. I didn't even know like what questions to ask. And so I flew to Chicago and took this tour with this small company. And it was so eye-opening. We, we looked at four different factories and they were all four completely different factories. Like one was like, big factory like you would expect. And then one was this woman who had four sewers that worked in her basement 
and her cutting table was in a, a detached garage, but it was like plywood on top of sawhorses. And they were making gowns that were going to be sold in Nordstrom's. So to see the variety of facilities and um, what people could do was really confidence building. And so I decided to work with that small company that was hosting the tour. And for the first year, it would be like the first run of production, they pretty much held my hand and walked me through it from start to finish. And then my second run, I just had them just kind of look over my shoulder, like I'm going to do it myself. Like I watched you do, like you taught me. And then if I'm making a mistake or I have a question and I know that they're there to help me. And so they even helped me like find the factory. They helped me find, I had been really searching for this certain fabric and they kind of introduced me to different vendors and and I was able to find the fabric I was looking for. So um, they were very helpful, but I think now there are lots of companies that do that now. I think at that time they were pretty new in their field the new concept. How did you know how much to order initially? Did you launch with a retailer? Were you selling direct to your customer? Um, yeah, so I was selling direct to my, well, at the time I was ordering the dresses, I didn't know how I was selling. I just knew <laughs> I needed, I wanted the dress. The factory said I had to make so many. And so really it was just kind of like, mm, how much can I afford? And, um, and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> What was your initial marketing strategy? So now you, how many, how many uh, dresses did you have to order? What was the minimum order? Might've been like maybe 150. I don't know that it was more than 150 dresses. Um, And so by the time you break them up into sizes and colors, you know, it's a little handful. So yeah, and I had no marketing strategy. I really did not know anything about marketing. I really, with my custom business, it had all been word of mouth and I had enough work to keep me busy. I had enough work that I could turn stuff away. So I never really thought about a marketing strategy. I thought like, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> and, it doesn't work like that, right? <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that when you have like overhead and production costs and inventory to move. And you know, it's, it was quite different than uh, custom design. So what did you do? Now these dresses come in, you need to figure out some type of marketing strategy. What happens next? I went door to door. I went to different stores and, um, and showed them the collection. Asked if they would want to do a pop-up or want to place an order. And then we also tried our luck at trade shows. And so we didn't know anything about trade shows and jumped right in. And it was very intimidating. (laughs) I hear you. And a lot of what I'm hearing, it's, you know, a lot of just kind of figuring out as you go along, testing and learning and figuring out what's working well, what's not working well, and trying more of those things. With everything that you know now, having been in this business for so many years, are there things that you would have done differently when you were first launching your direct-to-consumer? Yes. The marketing piece, like we just talked about, was so much bigger than I had realized. And so when I first started, I was so concerned with having the perfect product and enough versions of it to meet everyone's needs and, and really and didn't put anything towards marketing. And I con- and I was continually growing the collection to improve upon it and still not allocating any money to marketing. And so I'm generating all this great stuff, but it's not going anywhere because nobody knows about it. And so if I were to do it again, I would have probably stopped at that signature dress <laughs> and done just that one dress, maybe a second version because the, the dress is fitted. So maybe I'd do another version that wasn't fitted um, for a different body type. And then I would pile like most of my money into marketing. How has the brand evolved to this day? So what are you doing now that you weren't doing in the early days? 
so we have a storefront. When I first started um, our little studio space, we did sell dresses in there, but I would not in any way call it a storefront. And I can't say that I enjoy having a storefront. That's really not my love, but it is great for like research and development. So women come in, they try the clothes on. I, I actually get to see them in the clothes and hear what they have to say and make corrections and, and you know visualize new designs in my head as opposed to when we were exclusively wholesaling. I, I would have no idea why people did or didn't buy the dress and um, wouldn't get that kind of feedback, wouldn't see with my own eyes what I did and didn't like about how this dress was working. What else are we doing that's different? Well, we now we're online because initially we weren't online, which that was really the result of a production problem that we were wholesaling. And then we had a, a big problem with production where we couldn't deliver on our orders and we lost all of our accounts. And so in, once you kind of, you know, don't deliver to your stores, they don't want to order from you anymore. And so we started selling online really just to stay afloat until we could afford to buy more fabric to um, kind of start the process all over again. And in that time period, that's kind of when apparel online sales was getting big. We really decided that we actually liked selling online better than wholesale because the apparel timeline of how far in advance you have to work and how far in advance you have to sell and how fast and how often was really stressful. And I just couldn't keep up with it. And so by selling online direct to customers, I can make my own timeline. <laughs> I can release things whenever I want. So that's definitely different from when we started. What do you find is the most effective way right now to drive traffic to your site and attract new customers? Our email list, which is not, I was really resistant to, um, me and my lack of marketing knowledge and, and kind of my just kind of, <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a good salesperson at all. I'm trying to get better, but I was so worried about annoying people with emails. And so I didn't want to send out regular emails. But um, once I was convinced to send out regular emails, like that's where our money comes from. To see those analytics is like the coolest thing now to see like how effective they are and the conversion rates on, on these emails. So, I mean, realistically, if, you know, I had to really digest the fact that if someone is not interested in your emails, they're going to unsubscribe. If someone's going to keep your emails, it's because they want to hear from you. And so give them what they want. And so, so definitely email marketing. Absolutely. We tell our social clients all the time, grow that email list, because at the end of the day, you have access directly to your customer to be able to talk with them and you have their, you know, information where, you know, social media is incredible to reach audiences. And we've built our whole business, you know, creating social strategies for brands. But at the end of the day, you don't own that audience. And if you have someone's email address, you can get directly into their, their inbox. And as algorithms change, it's definitely, definitely the place to be. And I know, yeah. you know, you, you spoke at our uh, Shopify event, you're part of our Shopify event that we did last summer and Shopify has great analytics. And I think Courtney and I are favorite thing when that little cha-ching goes off when someone buys, right? <laughs> I love that. It's the best sound. It's like, a, it's like a Vegas slot machine, right? It's a, yes. <laughs> someone's on the site right now. Where are they from? Where, can I see where they're from? <laughs> so definitely can relate to all of that. How did you go about building your team? Who was your first hire? Oh yeah. So hiring is so stressful to me because the responsibility of providing for someone's livelihood 
but so serious. Like I do not take that lightly. So I'm, I'm actually very resistant to hiring. I'd rather just do it all myself, which I know is not a good idea. But my first um, hire was I was working, I was a custom designer and it was kind of just at the beginning of me transitioning to making that signature dress. I had already designed it and was kind of working through the, the factory stuff. This young woman fresh out of college design school came and she wanted to interview for a job. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm not hiring, but okay. And um, so, you know, I met with her and she was lovely. And um, I said, yeah, I just, I don't, I can't afford to hire anyone. And she just stayed on me. Like she would just constantly check in. She'd stop in. I mean, she was so persistent that I finally said, okay, minimum wage, a couple hours a week. And, and that's what we started as. I didn't even know how I was going to utilize her. I was so used to doing everything myself and really taking on, I only took on what I could, knew I could manage. And she was so new out of design school that I don't know that her skill set was super helpful at the time, but she did things like she dropped my kids off at summer camp <laughs> and pick them up. Um, if, it's, if, if I was working on something that she couldn't do, um, but my kids needed to be picked up, she was super trustworthy that she would run those errands for me. If it was something that she could do, then I let her do it and I could go run my kids. And so really hiring her allowed me to balance, you know, to kind of balance that work life and, and allow me to do what I love to do as well as not miss out on what my kids were doing. So she was my first hire and eight years later, she's still with me. And um, after that, it was kind of people that just fell in my lap, actually. I mean, in Pittsburgh, we're not um, really a fashion town. And so I think it's well known what I do here and kids coming out of design school or people moving to the area with that experience. I'm, you know, here that I'm producing and then I'm kind of the go-to, like, let me see if I can get a job there. Or let me see, you know, what's going on. So um, we actually kind of just stumbled into people. One, one woman was, um, I needed um, a sewer. And usually we had used Art Institute um, students. The Art Institute had closed. And somebody, you know, through word of mouth had a friend that, you know, sews and she was kind of just sitting home, you know, just doing nothing. And so she came in to start sewing with us. And after um, a few months of working with us, we realized that she knew so much more than that we knew. Like she was looking at a pattern and she was like, this grade is off. Do you want me to fix this? And I was like, you know how to do that? Because I didn't know how to do that. And so she started doing that. She knew how to work um, the computer software. So I purchased all the pattern making software and um, yeah, so we kind of just have people kind of just fortunately fall into our lap. <laughs> oh, that that must be amazing because hiring is is not always easy and can can definitely be a challenge. And I think also as entrepreneurs, as you were saying, you know, so many times we want to just do everything ourselves to just get it done as quickly as possible, and we're used to relying and depending on ourselves. But as you see, when you bring on other people who have other skills and can do even more you can end up growing even even faster and have more capabilities. What have you learned about yourself over the years in terms of, you know, building out your team and, and hiring and really being able to, to start delegating and let go of some things? Has that, has it been, you know, a good experience for you or do you still like being hands-on doing as much as possible? I love to learn, first of all. I love to learn how things are done. I actually never really work um, I got married two weeks out of college and, you know, was kind of running off with my husband. Um, so I never really worked in a real work environment. And so I'm not really sure how things are supposed to be done. Um, so learning how to handle certain situations is really interesting and fascinating to me. And I feel like quite a sense of, of achievement when I do, like even 
you know, unfortunately I had to fire someone during the pandemic, which it was just heartbreaking to know that I had to let go of, you know, a single mom during the pandemic, my worst, like probably my worst moment, but to learn how to do that and do it well so that, you know, she felt taken care of. I, you know, did release some of the guilt, but yeah, just in all kinds of situations, I just, I love to learn and I love to figure things out. And I love to be, I love to get to the point where I can hand off and feel comfortable handing off and delegating to my team members. Is there a particular moment looking back that you're most proud of? Yes. During the pandemic, when we had to, you know, shut our business like everyone else. And I pulled my team together and I said that we're, you know, this is how much money is in the account <laughs> and I'm going to pay you until it runs out. I don't know what, what what's going to happen, but I think that we have a lot of assets here. We, um, we make things in-house. Everything we use is made in America. So at that time, it was everything was coming from China was all delayed, you know, not even available. Um, we make everything in-house. Everything is made in America. We're all talented, competent women. And I think that if we stay flexible and keep an open mind, um, that we can not only survive this, but we're going to come out on top. And we did. My teammate members have an amazing work ethic, similar to mine. And we were able to, um, through that, have our most profitable year to date. So just um, really proud of the way we all came together and, you know, grew the business that year when everybody else was struggling. Yeah, that, that really is incredible. And 2020 was definitely such a hard year for so many business owners. What would you say were some of the secrets to, to your success with your team and really being able to rally everyone together? Did you pivot the business at all in what you were offering, change your messaging? What made you really be able to get the word out and to drive even more sales than you had in the past during that time? Yeah. So um, I think what, what worked for us is just modeling, modeling my my own sacrifice and work ethic. And they saw how much I was pouring into the business to keep it afloat. And they knew that I was doing that to keep them employed and to be able to continue to pay them. And so I think that they also had felt that responsibility to work as hard as they could too, to collectively be able to all survive and continue getting paid. But we did pivot initially when we were sitting at home, I had seen a newscast where a hospital system like in the Midwest, it wasn't anywhere near us, was out of masks. And in Pittsburgh at that time, it wasn't, COVID wasn't very bad yet. Um, but somewhere else, they were out of masks and they were putting out a call to home sewers to sew these cloth masks. And so I, you know, kind of, you know, reached out to my team and I'm like, hey, we're all sitting home, you know, I'm paying them anyways, you know, <laughs> like they're all sitting home. Everybody has a sewing machine. Everybody has scrap fabric. What do you think about just making some masks and we'll donate and we'll see who, you know, who wants them. We did that and do we, you know, the goal was just a couple hundred a week just to keep us busy. And then once word got out, we were swamped because we were just giving them the, the masks away. We weren't selling them. We were just giving them away. Um, I was buying the fabric. People were donating the fabric. And as word got out and it, we were getting calls from across the country because at this time, no one had masks. No one was really making masks. And my small little team, we were doing over 500 masks a day. Um, which is a lot on a little home machine, you know, like I broke my daughter's home machine and I had to get another one. Um, and then through that, one of um, the local health companies, Allegheny Health Network, had heard about what we were doing and, and saw the types of masks we were donating because we were picking all these like really fun colors and 
and, and prints. And they commissioned me to design the prints for masks that they were going to manufacture and give away. It was called their Million Mask Initiative. So they were making over a million masks and they would all have my print on it with my logo and put them out there. And so we did that and and made a a nice chunk of money working with them as well as we did so several thousand. I think by the time the pandemic was over, I think we did about 35,000 masks in-house that we were paid paid to sew as well. So that really kept us afloat as well as just our general clientele, a lot of our clientele wasn't really affected um, financially. They're kind of at home. They just couldn't go out, but they could still shop. They were still working from home. And so we were, we were able to sell a lot of clothes because a lot of people were sitting home with nothing to look at, but you know, our website. (laughs) I know you did a collaboration with the Steelers. How did that come to be? So that was, that was interesting. I, um, I never dreamed really of doing a collaboration with <laughs> the, the Steelers. But when I first opened my store, so many people came wanting to know where the Steeler stuff was. And I thought it was the strangest thing. Like, why would I be selling Steeler stuff? Like, there's a ton of it. Go to the mall. It's everywhere. And the more that I talked to women, the more I realized that, excuse me, there were a lot more women that were like me and in, in that I don't, of all the teams that we've been affiliated with, I... I've never worn the team apparel. Part of it is I didn't grow up in a sports household. So I didn't know, I don't know. I didn't have that whole like dress up and be part of the team thing. I was a, I was a competitive gymnast, but like nobody's wearing leotards in the stands. So, (laughs) So I didn't really, you know, feel the need to do that. But I think it was also, I'm a fashion person. So get dressed to look like the masses is kind of not really the mindset of somebody that's interested in fashion. But the more I listened to, women and what they were looking for. And I was like, oh, maybe there are more women out there like me. Like if I had something really cool that no one else had, you know, then maybe I'd get dressed up for the game. So that's what I set out to design. And that's what basically our collection is. It's, you know, the discerning fan that doesn't want to wear the the huge logo t-shirt or the oversized player's jersey. And that's how that started. What did you design? What I, What did you end up making? So initially... It started with, I had done some evening gowns out of authentic Jersey fabric for the Steelers charity fashion show. So I had this roll, um, this entire roll of black and yellow, we call it the bumblebee print, which is like the throwback print for the Steelers. So I cut it into squares and then we ironed on numbers, Jersey numbers, and then we would affix it onto um, the designs that we already had. So if I already make a black sweatshirt, now for a little upsell, we'll attach this, you know, game day patch to it, we called it. And um, so we started out with that. And then we branched into, we added in some designs that were specifically designed for Steelers. So a poncho, um, a onesie, an infinity scarf, that kind of thing. And then I had approached this, the NFL about getting licensing because uh, until then it was, you know, it's bootleg, um, <laughs> it's bootleg apparel. And I had approached them over the years uh, about licensing, but they're a, they're a big company and I'm a little brand. And so they're less interested in how cool my designs are and more interested in how much money am I going to bring to, you know, to the NFL. And um, it wasn't until last year that when it was kind of nationally, it was this move to support small, diverse businesses that I came back on their radar and they were interested in doing business. 
what was the process like of negotiating a deal with them and any learning lessons you can share? There's really no, there's really no negotiating. <laughs> they're, they're a big company and it's kind of like, this is what we're offering. Yeah. Um, I think because this was a new kind of way of working with small businesses, there were, they were a little more open because they wanted me to be successful, but at the same time, they're used to working with these multi-million dollar companies. And so it was kind of a, a fee, like, let's kind of work together to see how we can make this work. We want to bring you on as a small business, but you know, we, we can't use up all of our resources and you're not bringing anything back to the table. Cause you know, there's, there's lawyers that have to look for the contracts. There's a rep that has to kind of hold my hand. There's approval people. There's all these people that are working to get this collection out. And if the line is not bringing in enough money to cover the effort of all these people, it's, you know, it's a bust for them. And so, so really it was kind of just a talking through of like, where should we start and kind of a soft start. Um, you know, soft goals. And then it was like, okay, now let's go make some money. (laughs) Do they help you with the marketing? So they do not. They do. If you are a big company, they will contribute something to the marketing, but it's a commitment that I have to make as well. So if they say, we're going to put, I don't know, say $50,000 towards marketing, then you have to put $50,000 to marketing or whatever the agreement is for this small line, this small, you know, me as a small brand, they said, you know what, we are, we're not going to do that because then you're going to have to commit to spending this amount in marketing. And so we're going to kind of just, you know, help where we can not financially, but you know, certain platforms and make a mention here or that kind of thing, but then you can spend as little or as much as you want marketing. So that's how we're working right now and then see how that goes. Otherwise, I would be locked in that I have to spend X thousands of dollars marketing. Yes, so you have a, um, what's called a guarantee. So what they do is they set your royalty rate. And so apparel is typically 18 to 35%, I believe. And so whatever my sweatshirt sells for, let's say 20% of that, if that's the royalty rate they've given me, 20% of that is going to the NFL whether it sells at wholesale or it sells at retail, whatever it sells at 20% is going to the NFL. Then that 20% must meet the upfront guarantee that they have assigned me. So normal big companies, the guarantee is probably close to a million dollars, if not more. So that 20% of everything you sell must meet a million dollars for the NFL because they are going to make that million dollars and you pay that upfront. So contract signing is... March 31st, you write them a check for a million dollars, and then it's up to you to make up your million dollars back because you've already paid them. And and they would, you know, of course, like to make more than a million. So if you can fulfill that, then you still have to keep, if you hit that million dollars, everything you sell beyond that, you still have to give them 20%. But if you don't hit that, then they're walking away with their million dollars and you're sad. (laughs) And then there's a lot, there's also a lot of approvals that everything has to go through. You can't just design whatever the heck you want. Um, There's a lot of like rules and regulations about like how the logo can be used, where it can be placed, what we place next to. You can't like cut the logo in half and stuff like that. A lot of new things to learn. Yes. We all know running a business comes with a lot of learnings. Is there anything about your industry or business in particular that really surprised you? I can't 
say that it has because I, I've never worked in the apparel industry before. So everything to me is new. I don't know what's normal and what, you know, quote unquote normal and what's not. So I can't say that anything has surprised in those terms. Um, maybe just surprised me as a person, like, you know, like you're talking about the marketing, like, oh, you have to market, <laughs> you have to spend money doing that. Really just kind of general business or lack thereof knowledge. <laughs> and we all just learn as we go. I think that's the, yes. the secret of entrepreneurship and why we started this podcast and why we have our community. It's because sharing stories like this, and we're all able to really learn from each other. And that's how we all grow and, and get better for sure. All right, Kia, this is our fun little segment we didn't tell you about, but you might already know if you listen to the podcast, we're going to do a few rapid fire questions, the first word or words that come to your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What app on your phone do you rely on the most? News. What is your go-to style tip? Comfort. What are you currently reading? Uh, Legendary. (laughs) My son is reading it. And so I like to see what they're reading and it's, uh, it's about an Australian rugby team and leadership and how they have been the um, top winning sports team for like the last hundred years. Coffee or tea? Neither, hot chocolate. Uh-huh. Whipped cream or no whipped cream? <laughs> oh, whipped cream, absolutely. Marshmallows the whole bit. <laughs> what is one thing in your purse that you cannot live without? Lip balm. Finally, what skill do you wish you could learn? singing. Ah. Oh, I, I don't know. Are we, where is that, should it be work-related? <laughs> no. no, I think that's so fun. Actually, I wish I could sing too. So I moved to Miami almost two years ago. And what surprised me about living in Miami, Stephanie, I don't even know if I told you this, is that it's a big karaoke city. Like there's a, a lot of people on Wednesday nights and Thursday nights, the restaurants just turn into a big karaoke scene. It's so funny. I'll have to do that. Maybe we'll do an entrepreneurista karaoke event. I haven't. <laughs> yeah, done, that would be fun. I have not done any karaoke since moving to Florida, so gonna have to get on that. Kia, do you? Will you sing karaoke? Um, I will. I'm not good, but I will. Yeah, got got to get up there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Kia, what do your days look like right now? If you're not working, what's your typical day like? Um, well, I do still have one daughter in high school. My boys are off at college. Um, so I am still kind of, I, I, I've been changing my mindset to, I get to drive her to school. I get to pick her up from school. I get to take her to gymnastics and I get to sit in my car for hours at a time and, and read and, and do these things. So um, that's pretty much what my days look like during the week. And then weekends, my kids are very active sports-wise. So I'm constantly traveling. Um, the fall is spent alternating between my college, my boys' colleges, because they both play college football. So I one weekend, um, a game. And then um, the spring season, my daughter's a competitive gymnast. And so I'm traveling the country with her on weekends. Oh, that's so much fun. <laughs> I get to do it. <laughs> I, I love that. Uh, I love that mentality. I have a two and a half year old. So it's been an adjustment, figuring out how to balance everything in life now and being able to be there for her as much as possible and also be working and building businesses, how were you able to, you know, manage your growing business over the years and also make sure you were still there and present for your kids? Are there any tips or tricks you can share that work for you? For me, it was, I mean, fortunately my husband works to provide for the family. So it wasn't that we were starved if we did, you know, if my business didn't do well, 
our main goal as a family was to raise amazing human beings. And so that was absolutely my first priority. But I think raising amazing human beings, me working was part of that. Having them um, see me doing something that I loved, but also see me and them making sacrifices for doing it. I think that has been um, an amazing lesson for them. I remember when I started working out of the house and suddenly if, you know, a kid forgot their lunch instead of me running over to the school, it was, you know, like, well, I guess you won't forget it tomorrow because you'll be hungry today, you know? And, and I think it taught them to be very independent and to mature faster, but also to be proud of watching me kind of figure out my business. And, um, and I do still do bring them in on projects or just let them know what I'm doing. And, you know, if I fail at something, like talk to them about it and, you know, take their suggestions and to let them watch how I deal with failure and how I deal with success. And I think that that has just been a, a really great gift for them and allows me to see how they digest that. And I think that that's really why I do what I do for my own self-fulfillment, but also so that my kids can learn from it. Is there anything you wish you knew sooner in your career? Yes. I wish I knew that there is no perfect time. There is no perfect set of circumstances. There is, I was very self-conscious about feeling like I didn't know what I was doing and feeling like I, since I never worked in the industry much or worked really anywhere that I just didn't know how to do things. And I wish I had realized that like, nobody really knows what they're doing. <laughs> like we're all, there's no right way and everyone is figuring it out. And I wish I had known that and been confident to just take the steps because once I did throw caution to the wind and say, I'm taking these steps, then things started falling into place. People started coming into my life that could help me get to the next level or be mentors or provide support. Yeah, I wish I hadn't sat around waiting for somebody to give me the answers. What are you most grateful for every um, My family. I just, I have the best kids and husband and I'm just so grateful to be here and to be able to enjoy them and watch them grow and, and see how they grateful for their support. My, my kids, my boys have just been on spring break one after the other. And, you know, they come into work and ask what I need moved and, you know, what, what, what can they do to help? And yeah. My kids are just, uh, just a joy. <laughs> Finally, Kia, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? It means I get to live my story, create it and live it. I love that. And we can't wait to continue to follow you and see all of the incredible things that, that you do next. Kia, where can everyone find you, follow you? And of course, buy your signature dress and all of your <laughs> amazing other items. <laughs> yeah. So we have our website, which is kiatomlin.us. Um, we're also on um, Instagram and Facebook, um, both at Kia Tomlin. That's where to find us. Well, thank you so much for being here, Kia, and sharing your story. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneurista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entrepreneurista's. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entrepreneurista League our private membership community for trailblazing women. 
you can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.